Welcome back to Wilderness Wonder. I'm so grateful you came here to come along with us today. I often say that I hope that Wilderness Wonder is a guidepost in your journey, a place that you can come for a bit of rest. And one of the words that has been coming back to me over and over again lately is the word respite. Respite is a short period of rest or relief from something difficult or unpleasant. And I think that when we're going through the wilderness, respite is something that we crave and that we need. So today I am interviewing an author whose voice came to me in the depth of my wilderness and gave me this respite. I am talking with Leanna Tinkersley and Leanna Tinkersley is an author who I come back to again and again. Leanna writes Brazen, which is a book that I reread every year. And she also wrote Begin Again, which is a book that I read uh, in a really tough season. And this year, August 17th, her new book, Hope Anyway, comes out. And I just finished reading Hope Anyway on Monday, and it is incredible. Hope Anyway is going to become the book that I give to everybody. I believe that all my ladies need this book. So I hope that my conversation today with Leanna is a guidepost in your journey. I hope that it is a place of respite. And I hope that in our conversation you hear an invitation to finding the voice of God in your life. Here's something that Leanna wrote in Hope Anyway that I think really speaks to the work that I want to be doing on Wilderness Wonder, but also really speaks to Leanna's work as a whole. She wrote, The longer I write and talk about faith, the more interested I am in encouraging you to develop a practice that will help you hear God's voice, your own soul voice, and the particular invitations that might be waiting for you as you get still and listen. So let's do just that, friends. Come along with me. Welcome to Wilderness Wonder. Thank you so much for having me. This is a treat. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your newest book. So Hope Anyway is an exploration of the idea of hope, of course, but I, I tagged that anyway on because I, I found in my own life that sometimes when we go through difficult situations, loss, disappointment, that there's a couple things that happen. First of all, we, for many of us, we get in touch with this very resilient kind of scrappy part of us that is kind of this, this spirit in us, that this resilience in us that says, I just have gone through the hardest thing I've ever gone through, but I'm going to rise. I'm going to get back up. And then on top, also, I think when we go through loss and disappointment, we also develop a really tricky relationship with hope, you know, and 
can I still trust hope? And is hope something that I even want to invest time and energy in anymore? And so in 2017, just to be specific in my own story, I found out that my marriage was ending and I, and we'd been married almost 15 years and certainly our marriage was not perfect, but this was really unexpected. And so I have spent the last four years navigating what it looks like to come back from that, to rebuild, and then to also be a person who can still invest in, in hope and be a, be a hopeful person, even after loss and disappointment. And I just felt like, Amber, like I'm, I know I'm not the only one who's going through this and maybe not everyone out there is going through a divorce, but people are going through loss and people are going through unexpected tragedy. And I just wanted to explore that, you know, what is it about the human spirit that like kind of digs down? And then what is it that we need to hold on to when we're in these places? And then of course, as I was writing all of this, the pandemic started, you know, I got to watch people be innovative, be resilient, be, be clever and hopeful and creative in the midst of super hard, unprecedented circumstances. And so I guess I was witnessing people doing this all over the world. Like, okay, we can't do it this way. We're going to have to do it that way. Okay, well, this door is closed. We're going to try to find another door. And so it just became that much more, I felt like, relevant or resonant to watch people kind of shape shift and rise. And so, yeah, the book is an exploration of all of that, my story in particular, but also what I believe to be part of the human spirit collectively. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I've read a couple books were written during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I love it when, like you did, writers are saying like, I'm writing this in the context of what we are collectively going through. Because especially in book form, you aren't necessarily reading it during the pandemic. People may read it years later. Right. Regardless of where you're at, like as an adult or a child, this is affecting us all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love even more that hope anyway is about hope because, you know, wilderness wonders started kind of in the same respect. I had three miscarriages, um, 2017 and 2018. And I'm so sorry. Thank you. I was having these moments where I was finding writers or people that were using their voice and sharing hope in a new way during that, whether mm-hmm. they had been through infertility or not. And I was just like in the darkness, you talk about the darkness in your book and like the cocoon of my space and just kind of like seeking voices to come alongside me. And so then when I kind of came out of the dark, I was like, I need to be that voice. Hmm. I love that. It's true. And I think often I've said this a lot and I say it in the book that I don't know that God causes these things to happen to us, but I believe, in fact, I know I, I, my theology is that God in fact does not cause these things to happen to us, but I do believe that when we are in these situations, God is always reaching toward us. And so there is somehow, there can be, let me say it that way. There can be creative meaning in our circumstances where once we're kind of through that super gnarly wilderness darkness that we realize oh my gosh, I I do want to kind of link arms with the person who's still there in the ground. And you say that the darkness, you know, as you know, Amber, in the beginning of the book, I talk about this quote that has been so inspirational to me when I was in the absolute pitch black dark. And that was from Barbara Brown Taylor. And she has a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's just a must read in my opinion, because it kind of 
reframes the darkness, right? We think of it as so negative and sinister and, and, all, and actually like the wilderness, the darkness and the wilderness, they contain some creative meaning and some possibility. Mm-hmm. And so her, her quote from that book, I'll just say it real quickly is, new life starts in the dark, whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, new life starts in the dark. And I don't say that to like put a pretty bow on anybody's circumstances because it doesn't happen that quickly or that easily. But if, if we can hold on to this like little flicker that even in the, it's, it is in the darkness that do, that new life is beginning. There is something to that. And there's a possibility there, right? Instead of like, I guess I say it this way too, like an ending is an ending. Yes. But it is also the seeds for a new beginning. You know, I don't know if you've seen that in your own story, but I've certainly seen it in mine. I have. And so I had the horrible season of miscarriage. And as I came out of that, it was like a new thing kept happening. So like I was attacked by a dog. And then shortly after that, my husband was attacked. And it was like, what? It was insane. These insane things just kept happening. And I was like, okay, God, listen, we came through the wilderness. We're not going back in. Yep. Yep. You sort of talk about that in your chapter about the wilderness as well. Your friend who went into the wilderness over and over again, and that touched me in such a way because I had that same thing happen where every time I thought I was coming out, it was like, nope, we're going back in a little deeper or into a new part. But like my therapist tells me new level, new devil, like there's something else that we're going to learn here. And it's like, okay, I don't want to think about that right now because I'm in it. I'm in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to be tired and to be like, this sucks. I don't want any more. You know, I don't know if you follow Lindsay Letters' story. She's an artist and and she and I had a conversation recently for a podcast and her daughter, her daughter had a total freak accident that ended in a traumatic brain injury and totally changed the course of her daughter's life and their family. And then since then, they've had some bizarre other health issues. When her son almost severed all of his toes off of his foot, she had septic shock. And it's this idea of like, this is now just cruel. Like, (laughs) why do all of these horrible, life-threatening, super scary things keep happening? And like, you know, I, I, I think it's okay to just be like, I'm done. This is really hard. But I do also agree with your therapist that, and I'm sure you do too on some level, that even when even though it's hard and we don't want to go back into the darkness, we don't want to go back into the wilderness. I don't know. Something expansive can be waiting for us there. If we, if we cooperate. And I think what you're saying is also really wise, Amber, that you need a therapist sometimes to help lead you there. Like we can't do it on our own. I I meet with a counselor. She's really a spiritual director, but she sort of serves as, as, this kind of spiritual director therapist in my life. And I meet with her regularly and it's, it's, that saved me yeah. through this whole thing. Yeah, it has. You talk about that in your book a little bit and also about just connections with people. And I think that that's so important. And one thing that was kind of born out of the wilderness for me is these two uniquely different, but also core groups of women who we just started connecting like through video chat during the pandemic when we couldn't like see each other. And so one of the groups is women that had been in my life group. And so they're Christ-centered women. And then the other group is girls that I grew up with who don't necessarily know Jesus, Mm -hmm. but they're 
like they love me. And when I talk about Jesus, they don't care. They don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so cool because you kind of talk about in hope anyway, the flicker of light in the dark and like the next step in front of you and how it's only lit a little bit, but you take that next step. And that was so cool because, so I mentioned that my husband had been attacked last year. And then, so we lived in this neighborhood in the city and we decided that it wasn't, the police told us it wasn't safe to live in our house with our children for a little while. So I had this season where I had to take my two children and move in with my parents, which is something that I was like, no matter what happens, I'm never going to (laughs) do. Right. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. But so I was living in their fifth wheel last summer and just like the level of suck that everything was just like, this is not good. And we were trying to sell our house, but like had to get it ready to sell. And it was just like in the thick of it, like I said, and my friend Shelby, who is in this group with me that we grew up together, she was just like, I am so grateful that I have you because you're like the light in the dark when I can't find the light. Mm. And I was like, yeah, sometimes you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you can see flickers of light within the tunnel. And so let's just be that for each other. And then I love that. Yeah, you wrote about that in Hope Anyway. And I was like, I'm so glad that this is not just us and that this is a collective experience. And I don't think it always is for every woman. I think women sometimes are afraid to turn to each other because they've been burned or because someone's going to just give them advice on how to get out of their situation. And we never need that. You know, we just need someone to be exactly what you said, that flicker in the tunnel. And I I always say this, it's an embarrassment of riches. The women in my life, the gorgeous, strong, reliable women in my life. And, you know, I think, I think about that story in the new Testament of the friends that take their friend to Jesus and and their friend can't walk. He's paralyzed and they get to Jesus where Jesus is teaching and healing and the, the, the house is full. And so they hatch this plan to take him up to the roof and lower him down to Jesus, right? And if any of us have ever been in Sunday school, we've heard this story. And how it applies here is that, you know, I want to be the friend who's like on the one of those corners of the stretcher, like coming up with a super creative plan and saving the day. You know, I don't want to be the helpless guy on the stretcher getting lowered down through a roof. You know, it's just insane when you really think about it. And yet when you go through some of these seasons, you you end up having to get comfortable ish, at least on the stretcher. And you have to say, I will lay here and let you pick me up and carry me. And and hopefully we have strong warrior sisters who are able and willing to do that and that we're able and willing to do that for them. But part of it is us also being willing to be carried a little bit, you know, and that's hard for us as women. It's vulnerable, but I, I also, there's a, I have a dear friend, Kate, and she's in a group kind of like what you're talking about, like your life group. And the first Christmas after all of this happened, she sent me a Christmas ornament of a little owl. And, you know, you just, you feel like crap when you're in the middle of these things and you feel like you are doing a crappy job at everything. you feel exhausted by grief. And this little owl arrives in the mail and I open it and there's just a very brief note. And it just says, I see so much wisdom in you right now. And you know, that is a flicker in the tunnel and we can do that kind of stuff for each other. It's those gestures where we say to each other, I, I know this is impossible, but I am seeing something really important in you. And you need to know that even though you don't feel it, it's there and we can see it. And that I got that owl back out last Christmas 
it had been a couple years since she sent it and it just brought tears to my eyes. Like I just could, I could viscerally feel how reduced I was during that season. And to have someone say to me, I see wisdom in you. I mean, it gets me choked up right now. It's just like, what a beautiful way to carry someone. You had another chapter and I think it was reason about the great crowd of what was it witnesses in target. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was in Begin Again. I think it was the it was the it was the great cloud of witnesses in Target, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of having to find new ways to witness because of the pandemic. And like maybe we're not running into each other at Target as much, but I think that it's like you said, it's so cool to get creative in that way because like my friend Shelby, my flicker, she doesn't live in Michigan anymore where where I'm from. So um trying to find ways to witness her and also like send her things like I might leave here today and send her something. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's not it, it's like it's not about the cost or it's more about like what does she need, you know? And can I I have another friend that just Venmo's me five dollars every once in a while, you know? And and for some people, five dollars is like we they just can't do it. And I totally get that. But every once in a while, when I least expect it, it shows up in my Venmo this five dollars and a little note that says, you know, go get a coffee on me and and just know that I love you. And it's like, man, it's I also have a couple of friends that I Marco Polo with, and that's a new kind of a new thing for me. And that has been profound because as you're saying, it's not so much because of the pandemic, it's because now I live as a result of of this whole transition in my life, I moved from the um, West Coast to the East Coast. And so a lot of my core friends I'm away from, and we had to fi- we had to find ways, like you're saying with Shelby, to kind of figure out how we're going to witness each other's lives. I love that. And, and we're doing it. <laughs> it's like crazy to me. We're doing it over Marco Polo, you know, just like we see each other in the day-to-day with no makeup on first thing in the morning, drinking our coffee, what after a workout, whatever it is, and just um and just sharing the little bits and pieces of life. And I just believe it matters. It's it's been so sustaining for me. So I think, yeah, anyone that's listening, it's like this isn't I I think we often fall into the trap of grand gestures, you know, like, okay, well, if I need to like go and buy her like this really expensive throw from Nordstrom or like the perfect anthropology candle, or I don't know, or like sweep her off her feet to go into San Francisco, or I can, maybe we're not all like that, but I am very much like that. I can get really like grandiose in my head. And what matters to me more than anything are these small gestures that people have sent my way to say, I'm holding space for what you're going through. And I love you. And I so believe in you and I'm here and you're going to, you are going to rise. You are. Yes. I see you. I hear you. Yes. You know, you know, yes, exactly. And the wilderness chapter, what you were talking about before my friend, you know, she just has gone through health crisis after health crisis. And it's, it's like, it's insane, right? It's just like, how can so many things happen to one person? And, and what I, I was kind of sharing with her is this, and and you have to be careful with this, like handing someone a verse when they're going through a hard time. But I had just, I had really been moved by this just couple lines in the book of Lamentations. And it says, because of God's great love, we are not consumed. And I had kind of turned that into a breath prayer for myself because so many days we feel consumed, right? Consumed by grief or by shame or by, just like you're in your parents' fifth, you're, you're you're in your parents' fifth wheel. Like I'm trapped in my circumstances, right? We're just consumed by the circumstances, and it's such a it's such a message of hope when we realize that 
because of love, because of the expansiveness and presence of love in our lives, we are not consumed. And I, I needed that as another flicker in the tunnel. And I shared that with my friend and I just pray it as a breath prayer because there's every day, every single day I walk into my kitchen and look at the dishes and I feel consumed <laughs> you know, or the laundry. And it's like, okay, love is accessible in this moment to me, expansive healing love. And because of that, I don't have to live in this like feeling of being consumed all the time. I love that so much. And really does bring me into like one thing that I really wanted to talk about. Yeah. Often speak about the voice that you hear. Yeah. And the voice told you your person is. And I love that so much because when I was in that season in the fifth wheel, I was like waiting for permission from my husband or somebody, mostly my husband, because I think that I wanted um, that leadership, but just permission to leave the <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Can someone please tell me that it's okay for me to run for my life? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Can someone co can someone co-sign on this, please? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, a sign from God. Like, when is this season gonna end? And what really happened, I had to give myself permission to end that season. And that was so tough and it wasn't the way that because like moving into the fifth wheel I was like okay this is gonna end because xyz is gonna happen and that didn't yeah. happen yeah <laughs> yes I understand <laughs> what happened was that I chose myself I chose what I needed and so when I read that when I read you wrote your person is you I was like oh my goodness yeah yeah it's profound for especially for us as women I think to really dig into this concept. And, and I want to go back a little bit. First, you were talking about the voice. And, yeah. you know, I, for me, I identify that as the voice of God, but I know for people that can be tricky or, or the voice of God carries so much baggage. And so kind of what I get to by the end of the book is this is the voice of love in our life. And, and the voice of love is, there's always a hand reaching toward us, right? There's always grace available. And so throughout the book, I talk about what the voice of love is bringing to me. And it's always that next flicker. It's always the hand reaching toward me. And so I was in, it was right after I kind of realized, and I was beginning to accept the reality that our marriage was in fact ending. It took me a little time to begin accepting that this is what was actually going to happen. And I was just devastated and I was sitting in my car and I felt like God, the voice, the voice of love was saying to me, Leanna, you are not losing your person. You are finding your person and your person is you. And on one hand, you could say, well, you know, yeah, you actually were losing your person. And I was, I was losing the person I was closest to in the world, but the voice was also refraining this and telling me that um, this is an opportunity and an invitation for you to come home to yourself and to um, make your person you, right? So there's a lot of implications in that, but a lot of the book 
goes into then what it looks like when we see our circumstances as purely reductive, but there's actually some kind of hidden expansion in our circumstances. It's exactly, it's so beautifully said, Amber, in your story of like, here I am in this fifth wheel and all it feels like is reductive, but out of that circumstance, you choose yourself and you realize what you need that actually ended up being very expansive. Like you grew some out of that, right? And so I think that's what I've just watched in myself. It's, it's this, and it's slow and it's not perfect, but some things have arrived that I realize I can make super, super difficult decisions on behalf of myself and my children. I realize that I, I don't have to scan the horizon helplessly waiting for someone to come and rescue me. That's been a big theme in my life. And I'm over here kind of wringing my hands, not totally able to trust myself. I have a whole lot of ideas but I need someone to come in and validate those ideas and really be the one to pick everything up and rescue me. Right. And that is been healed very much in me as a result of all of this. And so if that alone is an outcome, then that's important, right? Because there's something really empowering yeah. when you say my person is me and then you start living congruently with that and you start making decisions on your own behalf and you just kind of like wake up and realize I, I can do this. Like, yeah. you know, I can do this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So good. So one of the chapters in brazen was self-possession and mm-hmm. my word for 2019 was self-possessed and no, maybe it was my word for 2020. Now I can't remember. Anyway, that year it was like, I got put through the ringer to figure out what it was that I needed and what I even liked. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And you can see, I revisit those themes in this book because when you lose a primary relationship in your life, there's now this space, you know, or even when you just decide you're going to choose, you're going to turn toward yourself and say, what do I want? What do I need? I'm going to actually get really clear on that. It's like, it takes, yeah, you, you, you need some time and space to figure that out. And so, yeah, I, I came back to those themes because they became present again for me. And I had this space where this other person had been that now that person's opinions, that person's preferences were no longer an influence in my life. And so I had to figure out sometimes we get there's safety in that, right? This other, we kind of rely on this other person for how things are done or and so returning to my own preferences, self-possession, my own desires, needs was, it's vulnerable. Yeah. It's vulnerable. And often you do need, I think, a professional trained guide to help you go into that territory. But I think it's a journey every woman has to take because that's how we truly find our most authentic work in the world. I think it's how we find our most authentic connections with others. It's, it's this kind of lie that conflates that self-possession and your person is you with selfishness. Like I think we, a lot of the, the narratives around women is if you do that, then you're selfish. I found the opposite in my own life. I am much more available to the people that I love, to the work that I wanna do. I have a much more authentic faith when I can drill down into this self-possession as you're talking about. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And it's a message I think every woman needs to hear because they've been often told, we've been often told that that time spent figuring out your desires and needs is actually an act of selfishness. And to me, it's the opposite. It just gives you 
a really centered, grounded place from which to be present. And I, I'm not trying to use a lot of buzzwords, but like to be present with the people you love, which is what we all want, right? It's what we all want. Absolutely. It's what we want. Um, yeah. I've had to like in this active, trying to become self-possessed and choose myself. I've had to learn what my voice of intuition is. And then I found for me that as I find my voice of intuition, it's, it's a lot more natural to hear the voice of God. Yes. And yes, I'm kind of building this offering that is all centered on reconnecting with your voice of intuition in order to find the intersection of your voice and God's voice. Mm, that is so rich. So how have you, how have you done that? Like, do you have, is it specific practices and yeah. that sort of thing to kind of come back to that voice? Yeah. yeah. I think that it, for me, it began in a war room. I don't know if you've seen that movie, The War Room. No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. So good. So actually we're in my war room right now, but. <laughs> I love it. What that is, is putting your prayers on paper and then uh, having a space for them. That's within like your home or your space, like a safe place. So it begins with curating this safe place. And then. So I don't know if you can see my mural, but when we moved into the house, I was like, this is going to be my war room. And so I needed to make it into something for myself. And so I started with that and then kind of like in the craze of moving, paused all of that. And then in July, what I've started doing is actually putting my prayers back up. So you can't see it, but over here I have picture pictures of my people to remember to pray and prayers and all of that. And all of that is just visually being able to come back and listen, because what I've found is that when I just like pray on the fly, sometimes I forget to see the rhythms and patterns in my life. And so having this visual reminds me that, um, all the time I'm coming back to the same things, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have a boat picture because um, I really feel like God is found near water and water is like a really centering theme around listening mm-hmm. to God's voice. And um, the other day I was taking my husband's grandmother, she's um, having kidney failure right now to mm-hmm. get a haircut. It was just going to make her feel better, you know? Yeah. Like what can we do to help her feel comfortable right now? And so as we were coming back from the haircut, she was exhausted And she was just dozing off next to me in the passenger seat and we're driving down the road and it started raining. And I was just like, this is like the babbling brook voice of Jesus. Hmm. And how beautiful, you know, in just like 20 minutes of a drive back to her house. And it was such an experience. Oh my gosh. You know, I love all that. I love it. And it's like your own kind of Pinterest board that's, that's right in front of you, right. That's got, you can touch and see and return to, oh my gosh, I just wrote it down in my journal war room. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up more. I love that so much. I love it. And you're right. Like it, it, if this is work we want to do, it, it often requires us to create space and safety and reminders and to kind of keep track of the journey along the way. I just, that is so beautiful to me, Amber. Thank you for sharing that. I love it. Yeah, I think I also want to add with this, the, the connection between our, our 
our intuition, you know, I, I always write about it as the soul voice and God's voice. And then there's the voice of the soul bullies. And I think that is important again, as women, probably anyone, but I think especially women that a lot of times we're listening to these because the soul bullies are the loudest. Often they're screaming at us and they're screaming shame and fear and regret and all of the, the condemnation they can possibly spew. Yep. And I think what we do is we think that's either God or ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we believe that that voice is the truest voice. And that can also get in the way of listening of the self-possession we've been talking about, of trusting ourselves, trusting the voice of God, the voice of love in our life. And so that's also work I've had to do is like sit down and say, what are all the nasty messages that I am listening to and living out of right now? Mm-hmm. And, and then look at them and say, is this like, is this how I, do I want to be ordering my life based on this message that this, that's a bully, right? You know, just trying to bully me into silence or into numbing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no. And this is not the voice of God. So um, not to say that God doesn't nudge us. Of course he does, but he doesn't condemn us and treat us like that. So that's also work I've had to do personally to kind of get down to those truer voices because they're often quieter and they're just down there waiting like, okay, I'm just, I'm here, but we got to get rid of all those, those voices that are yelling at us, not get rid of, we have to kind of address those. I think first, I agree. We have to address them. And that's a podcast episode that I've already written and recorded. It's probably going to release before, just before this one. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, it really is born out of what I've read in your work, though, because that label, the soul bullies, like gave me permission to name it. Yeah. And one, what I what I invite people to do in that podcast episode is to actually write the lie down, and then put it in their war room and ask God what is most true about it, because what you're gonna find when you tear it down is that it's not true. And what's most true is what's at your core. What I've found at my core is that I'm a creative and a creator. And when I'm creating, a lot of times I have this lie that like I'm lazy because it takes a lot of time or I'm slow because I need this quiet time. And like, you know, my whole family is extroverted and I'm extremely introverted. And so like, I have all these lies built up about things that, that seem negative, but really what it is, is it's about my makeup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're trying, yeah, we're trying to make sense of and and make peace with who we are. And there's parts of that we want to reject, right? Like, and then there's parts of that, that we are desperate to embrace. And it's a, it's complicated. And you know, my spiritual director, she's always saying to me, and I just want to like scream at her, shut up. But she's always saying to you, you got to welcome that, you know, you like, it's like, I want to just, I want to just eradicate all the, all the parts of myself I, I don't like or don't, I haven't made peace with yet. I want to eradicate the soul bullies. I want to eradicate all of this, the vulnerability is attached to all of that. And she's just like, you know, part of this work is to welcome it. And, and, and it, so that's exactly what you're saying, because when we welcome it, then we can get to the bottom of it instead of just trying to like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, straight arm it or reject it out of, out of pocket. It's like, actually let's do the work of welcoming it and saying, okay, what's here. Even she even encourages me to welcome my anxiety. You know, I, I can be, I can run really hot and she's just like, you, you know, some of this anxiety, you could just sit down and welcome it and say, okay, what's going on? Where is sensitive Liana in all of this? And it's like, it's work that I wish was done. 
I wish I could just graduate from, right? But it's it it's important. And I so a lot of the a lot of what I do now is just like welcoming these things that I'm I'm like, I do not love this about myself, or I do not love that that I'm still dealing with X, Y, or Z. So sit down and welcome it. Oh yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> yeah, do this. I I know I had the same type of situation in my therapy appointments. I was like, so now I can see all of the crap and I know that it's there and I don't always know what to do about it. And my therapist and not just my therapist, but like regular mentors in my life were like, you keep focusing on what to do. And that is not mm-hmm. there. Sometimes there's nothing to do about it. Like yeah. maybe that's not what we're doing when we're welcoming. Maybe we just need to hold. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I want to open my hands to all of that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I actually had a conversation with someone yesterday and she said, there's a line in your book that says we can't surrender while we're strategizing. And, you know, I had forgotten about that and it was like, it's so true. And I, I know when I'm strategizing, I'm not going to a good place and I'm going into my false self because I'm just trying to fix things and make them feel better. And it's actually in surrender that we're getting, that our person is, my person is me, right? And, and there isn't a lot to do in surrender. It's like welcoming and then just opening our hands and, and trusting that voice of love, trusting the healing, the process, you know, not just trying to jump to a product so quickly. And it's, but I think this is what's really hard about being human is, you know, we just kind of want, we, we want outcomes and it's not always the case. And, and that is really, honestly, Amber, that's really the heart of this whole book is that we have defined hope in our lives as something to hope for, like an outcome. Like, I hope we get to go on vacation or I hope that, you know, we, I, I hope that the Padres win, win the World Series or I hope Simone Biles gets the gold, you know, and which is fine. It, and it's okay to wish for things, but that's really more of a wish than it is the true essence of hope in my opinion. And so I realized that actually what, what true hope is, is hoping in, it's not hoping for, but hoping in. And so we're putting hope in the practice of welcoming, putting hope in the practice of surrender. We're putting hope in the wilderness, in the darkness, in our people. And not because we have a prearranged destination that we're fighting for, but because that, that there's gifts in the process. And I guess that's just like, I say that also knowing that so often we're looking for answers and that doesn't necessarily feel like an answer, but I hope it normalizes for people that if outcomes haven't gone the way that you expected them to in your life, they certainly haven't for me. I'd like to have a hope that is more transcendent than just outcomes, you know? So that's really what we're talking about throughout this whole book is, is how do we let go of the strategizing and the outcomes and say, I'll be in the process, even though it's hard. And I'll put hope in the process, even though it's hard. Yeah. And that's, what's really beautiful about your book is that it doesn't propose answers. Mm -hmm. It's more of an invitation into what it is that we actually need. And that's why I found like when I was in that season, when I was going through those hard times, Brazen was the book that really came to me in that way. And Mm -hmm. I was just, like I said, I was in my cocoon of my war room in that other house and just like, didn't have a place to go. Didn't want a place to go. Just needed to be in the dark. And 
it was brazen in your book and the next right thing podcast and voice that just really helped me find the voice of God in that season. And that is what brought me out just one step at a time. And it was necessary and needed, but before we leave, you talked about your rebuilding year in the loss. Yeah. And yeah. I'm so in my rebuilding year now after the fifth wheel and everything and kind of in my lofts here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I wanted to just have you speak into a little bit for our listeners. Yeah. I, I um, talk about how with God, I feel like there's always a next and that there's hope in that, you know, I don't know what I, we don't always know what the next is going to be. And it may not be what we hoped for, what we planned for, what we dreamed of, but with God, there's always a next, there's always that hand reaching toward us. And for me, that came in the form of moving from, we were living in San Diego and then this all starts this, this whole, you know, just kind of implosion of life was happening and it, it worked out that we were all able And in what could be described as nothing other than miraculous, we were all able to move from San Diego to central Virginia. And my sister lived, we're we're in the same town as my sister, the same town as my mom and the same coast as my brother, he's in Florida. And so um, it had been since 1999, since I had even lived on the same coast as one of my siblings and we're very close and they were exceptionally present with me during this whole time. And even in their own grief of losing a family member, really, and, you know, they were able to be present with me. And, and what I needed and wanted more than anything was to be near my family during all this and to get my kids closer to their cousins and all of that. And so it worked out that we were able to do that. And you mentioned the lofts and that's where, that was sort of where God brought us. And it was, it was very serendipitous, however you want to say it, miraculous. It just, I was visiting my sister. She was going through some really difficult things. I was visiting her in Virginia and I happened to see a sign that, that these, this historic building that used to be a tobacco manufacturer had been turned into lofts and it was renting. And so we just kind of went in and looked and I just immediately had that feeling like you do sometimes in life, like this is what I want. This is what we need. And it was scary. It was this, it's the single most difficult decision I've ever made in my life was to transplant my children specifically and take them from their nest in San Diego and move them. And it was through a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of time spent listening, a lot of friends. I didn't do that in a vacuum, you know, but we got to the lofts. Yeah. And it was, we spent a year there and it was this odd urban living situation. It's me and three kids and a dog. And, you know, we had never lived like that before hauling groceries upstairs. We're in this super old building with old windows and it just saved us. It saved me. And I had to go in that chapter or one of the chapters I talk about having to take the dog out, you know, three, four times a day and having to walk Rosie because we didn't have a yard and, and how annoying that chore was and how frustrating. And then in in retrospect, how it really saved me because it made me get up and get out and walk and walk and walk and see people and, um, you know, be, be alive and not just kind of like, fade away. And so it was a hard year, but it delivered us to then the next, the next place to put our feet. And so what I say to people is that rebuilding is the hardest thing you will ever do. And it's possible. And that's what I learned. It was the hardest thing I've ever done and it's possible. That's so good. Yeah. I love that. 
I love that, especially because when I was reading it, I was like, okay, we're in the place that I wanted to be in. We're in the town that I wanted to move to after the violence. And, and like, we're like with neighbors and kids to play with the kids and all the things that I wanted. And then we move in and I have all the things that you would want, right? Like I'm publishing the podcast, I'm writing, I'm like owning that I'm writing. I'm, you know, have my two kids and they're in this great community and all the things that I want. And then what happened was I was like, but nothing feels right. And I'm like claustrophobic in my own life. And like, what's happening right now. And then I, I read that chapter and then had a therapy session and was like, okay, we have to talk about this rebuilding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of gnarly, right? Like you get, and I had the same exact thing, Amber, like you get, you get to where you kind of realize what's next, but that doesn't alleviate the exhaustion of change and the, and the disorientation of change. You know, it's like you're in the new country, but you know, it's, there's disorientation. What do they say? It's orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And those things are not perfectly in a box steps. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it does, it, the, all of that disorientation it and, and exhaustion, it alleviates after a while, but it, I found it takes longer than you think. And it can be very tempting to bully ourselves or to be less than compassionate with ourselves as we're still going through all that. So I resonate with that. And I say, yeah, of course, you know, change is hard. Walking children through change is hard. And yet it, it is, a, it will slowly, slowly, slowly feel like less of a scald. Yeah. And the practice came out of that therapy session when I was talking about rebuilding is you talk about scaffolding. Scaffolding is a huge theme in my therapy. And I told her that I, I scaffolded while I was in the fifth wheel and then we were not in the fifth wheel anymore and like kind of moving through our life. And I just tore it all down. We're good now. And yeah, I was like, no, what I'm realizing is I need to scaffold again decided that I need to come up with a routine and part of my routine is walking the kids I don't have to walk my dog but yeah one-year-old is like the outside kid and I can't keep him in the house and so just once a day maybe twice a day so far it's been four times a day but twice a day would be ideal for me <laughs> yeah we're just gonna yeah into the stroller and we're gonna go small walk outside breathe notice come back <laughs> Yeah. And it changes. I mean, it's crazy, but it, to me, it's such a, it, it's so helpful to mental health yeah. because it's a reset and it's nature and it's beauty and it's fresh air. And I agree. I mean, whatever it is for people, but you know, I think that rhythm, that scaffolding, those little routines that can, can kind of bring us back to our bodies are huge. I love that. Okay, I have two conclusion questions. Okay, great. The first one is what practice is bringing you light right now? Okay, two things. I mean, there's a few actually, but number one thing that comes to mind is lately I have been waking up, getting my coffee and putting like something soft, like a nice kimono or something on and going out to my back patio, which faces woods right now. Cause there's leaves on all green leaves on a million trees back behind my house. Yeah. And I think my temptation is often to just like constantly feel behind in my day and rush, rush, rush into my day. And 
I know that I do better if I'll even just literally take five minutes, you know, set my phone alarm for five minutes and sit out there. And, and it doesn't even have to be this like productive journaling time, though it can be, but just staring and drinking my coffee and breathing and listening to the birds is been extremely, extremely therapeutic for me, especially because when you release a book out into the world, that's highly personal, there's a lot of vulnerability that goes with that. And I can, I have noticed that I have been feeling a little bit raw. I've been feeling more anxious lately. Mm -hmm. And so this is a really good way to balance some of that, or even just as we talked about to sit and well, and, and welcome the anxiety, you know, or welcome the vulnerability and say, yeah, of course you're feeling that way. This is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. You're sharing a personal story. And so that's number one. And I just encourage people to, to, yeah, like, Find a, find a moment and a spot in your day that allows you to, to, to slow and settle and quiet. And it's been very healing for me and then get up and start my day. Another thing is, is breath prayers and breath prayers help me, especially when I'm highly anxious, when I get really physiologically anxious, it's hard for me to focus. And it's hard for me to think about what I need because you're physiologically kind of shaky and weird, you know? And so I noticed that breath prayers have been a practice for me that have been really helpful because I have a few just written on sticky notes on my desk. Mm -hmm. And if I'm trying to fall asleep or I'm trying to reset, cause I just feel kind of gnarly. They're just a great way. Um, God, I rest on the inhale in your love on the exhale, you know, because of God's great love on the inhale, I am not consumed on the exhale. You can do and you can do scripture. You can do anything yeah. like, you know, help me, God, I'm going to crazy town. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's no like rules to this. You can write them however you want, but breath prayers. Yeah. And then lastly, I'll just share this. I just shared it on Instagram recently, but um, I just need to work out in order to be like, I just need to work out. It helps my mental health. It helps my energy level. It helps my, it helps everything go better when I exercise. But as we were talking about scaffolding, I'm just, I kind of suck at like creating a lot of structure in my day and sticking to it. And so anyway, during the pandemic, my whole plan for working out got disrupted. And so I have a dear friend that we work out together, but we often just do the same workout and then check in with each other over text. Like, oh, I did the workout, but it's easy to like push that back throughout the day. And she's super disciplined. So she of course never does. But so finally I just said, Ashley, I need, can we like two times a week FaceTime while we're working out? We don't have to look at each other, but like, can we be on the a connected call? Right. So that we're actually working. And so she's like, of course. I don't know why it took me so long to think of this, but we did it twice this week and it was just total salvation. Oh. And it doesn't, it was just 25 minutes, but it's like, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it, Amber, other than it's a scaffolding that I needed to get this done and to have it marked off the list and feeling better and not this thing that's hanging over my head yeah. all day. So those three things, those three things. Oh, I love that. Especially the last one. I find that I'm not very disciplined in the schedule either. I think that it's a create, like when you're it is. writing. Yeah, it is. Sometimes. So I have a friend who, have you heard of a manager and a maker schedule? Yes. Okay. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes. So my friend that's on the manager schedule, she lives like that. She helps me as well. And so lately, cause I told her like, we need to walk every day. And you just make sure that I'm taking the kids outside and we're walking every day. So now she's checking in with me on Marco Polo. Did you walk today? Do you want to walk with me? Cause she walks her dogs. And so perfect. Yes. 
It's perfect. And you know, I, and I, what I wrote on my Instagram post is exactly what you're saying. Like there's a lot of things we're all trying to do to, you know, be healthy, to be, to, to kind of care for our own well-being, especially coming out of the pandemic. And so what I, my realization was, is like support is available. You just need to reach out and ask for it. You know, and you need to invite someone into that. Like, I want to take my vitamins every day. Can you, can we somehow have a way to do that together? Or I want to make sure I'm getting better sleep. Can we, and it's, you know, maybe it's like the old school accountability partner, but I like to think of it as, you know, your support partner. And no matter what you're trying to do to take care of yourself, someone will help you do that if you ask for it. And, and it's kind of rough. It's kind of simple, but it's revolutionary. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. It's kind of a practice of being held. Oh, and welcoming that allowing yourself to be held. That's so freaking good. That's so good. And it's vulnerable, right. To like submit to that and say, I need help, but it's a way. Oh, I love that. Good for you. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how can listeners connect with you? Sure. So I am active mostly on Instagram and my handle is at Leanna Tankersley. I'm also over on Facebook here and there, same handle. And then my website is LeannaTankersley.com. And you can learn more about Hope Anyway, the new book at HopeAnywayBook.com. And it's available wherever books are sold. There's a ebook version, a hardback version, and an audio version that I just recorded a couple of weeks ago. And that was really a, a real treat to get to do. So yeah, that's where you can find me and come say hi and, and tell me where that you found me through Amber's podcast. I would love that. Yeah, I would love that also. And I was going to note your pre-order bonuses. Part of that is having the audio version. Is that true? Yes. So if you pre-order the book releases August 17th, um, and if you're listening to this before August 17th, the pre-order bonuses are available at hopeanywaybook.com. And yes, one of the bonuses is a free down, a free copy or download of the audiobook. You also get the ebook of Begin Again, which is one of my previous titles, and a fun kind of extra bonus behind the scenes podcast that I recorded with a friend. And then some really beautiful downloadable art that you can like get a lock screen for your phone and some quotes from the book that have been really have been beautifully designed. So there's some fun bonuses for people. I just, I don't, I, I think of them as thank you gifts. <laughs> Honestly, I know people call them pre-order bonuses, but these are like pre-order thank you gifts. Pre-orders matter a ton to authors. So if you guys follow authors that you love, pre-ordering is such a huge support. And so for me, it's my way of saying thank you back to you for taking the time and the expense of pre-ordering. So thank you in advance. Yes. Love that. Okay. And then also I just wanted to mention, is your Orcas Island retreat already full? It's not yet. There's a couple spots left. Oh my gosh. I would love to talk about that briefly. Yes. So it's in October and we go with 18 women. It's a kind of a boutique retreat is what I might call it. And we go with 18 women to Orcas Island to a 40 acre property that overlooks Puget Sound and it's private. It's private woods and it's me. I, I lead it, co-lead it with my dear friend, Elaine Hamilton, and she's a licensed therapist. And actually in 2017, my marriage ended. And then in 2019, Elaine's husband, Ken passed away very unexpectedly from cancer. And so we have been sort of linking arms through this whole loss and processing together. And we've just, yeah, this is our second retreat to offer on Orcas. And we just want to bring women together and talk about process our lives and 
talk about hope and then be in this I mean, I cannot emphasize how gorgeous this setting is. And then we bring in someone to do all the food and it's gorgeous, fresh, beautiful food. And it's just, I can't say enough about it. It's just this, this unexpected community of women that come together and really go into some very deep and beautiful places together. So I love that. Yes. And you can find out about that on soulcarehouse.com soulcarehouse.com is where you can register for that yeah I'm going to link to all of these offerings and all these things for you and Elaine I'm going to link to her too because she designs things so beautifully like I just want to have that in my life (laughs) one day Amber, like just follow her around. I'm telling you, she just purchased this house in Portland. She calls it her grandma house. She's a grandmother to two sets of little twins. And um, she bought this old historic home in Portland and she's renovated it. And she, everything she touches is like magical. So you can also, if you follow her and look at what she's done to this Portland house, you also get a little taste of what she's done to the property in Orcas. And it is ridiculous. So definitely follow Elaine too. Yes. Yes. And, and the house on Orcas is hers. So she's designed it. Correct. And it's multiple, there's multiple places to stay on that property and every inch is a stunner and you can see water from everywhere. It's just talk about a healing environment. Yes. I'm so excited that I just had that conversation with Leanne and Tinkiersley. I cannot tell you how much of a dream it was to record with her and to see her and hear her and finally get to talk to her about her work. Leanna is somebody I've said before who came to me during my dark period and over and over again. This conversation was such a beautiful one and it left me feeling so light. I hope it leaves you feeling light as well. I wanted to just conclude with a few things that I hope you take away from this conversation with Leanna. Leanna said in our interview that God always has a hand reaching for us and I hope that you hear that there is always an invitation into the next moment. I hope that you can find a practice of light that will help you find that invitation. And to conclude that, I'm going to read a quote that I held on to from Leanna's new book, Hope Anyway. Leanna writes, Try believing your life is a part of a larger story. And that story is rooted in love. Try believing part of why you are here on this earth is because something wants to be born in you and through you and given away to this world. Try believing just for the next 24 hours that your greatest sense of belonging to yourself and your greatest contribution to others will come from the darkness you must lie down in. It takes incredible courage to let something new take root in you. You guys, I hope that you go buy Leanna's book, Hope Anyway. I'm going to link to all of her work and her retreat with Elaine at Orcas Islands. I think that her work and her words are such a gift. 
And more than anything, this new book, Hope Anyway, is going to become my new Give to Everybody book. So, thank you for listening. Have a blessed day. Find the courage to let something new take root in you.